You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. Welcome to episode 17 of the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Today, my guest, Jess Rose, and I are going to take you step-by-step through the process of making your first yoga video. Newsletter subscribers will have access to a companion download that breaks down everything we talk about into a seven-day process so that you only need to spend an hour or less per day and get your first yoga video done in one week. If you're not yet a subscriber, but you want access to that download, All you have to do is become a subscriber by going to teachingyoga.net, click on the top tab that says join our community. This week, my oldest daughter started her sophomore year of high school. And the moms out there, parents out there, especially parents of teenagers, I'm sure can relate. It is so hard to watch our children struggle with, especially with mindset issues, especially with things that we have maybe a little bit more perspective on in the hindsight of life experience. At this age, though, I know that I really need to pick my moments with her and mostly just listen. Mostly I need to just be a compassionate, quiet (laughs) person to a safe space for her to, to vent or share things or even just, you know, be upset and not talk. I'm really grateful that she and I are still close, and I know that part of the reason that we are is because I respect her boundaries, and I watch her for cues for when she's open to hearing me. (laughs) This morning, she was kind of late for school, so she was in a bad mood, and I was probably starting to kind of push on something, and she actually told me straight up, she was like, Mom, I'm not open to hearing you right now. Don't you want to talk to me about this at a time when I'm willing to listen? (laughs) She's so much wiser than I was at her age. So I feel really great about that. And I do, in general, feel that the generations that are coming up now, they do have a lot more access, hopefully, to learning about how to manage our minds. Since starting to work primarily one-on-one coaching yoga teachers, I've actually been surprised to discover how much of the work that we need to do on our business is actually work we need to do on our mindset. We make so many problems for ourselves in our minds, and then we act and believe that they're real problems. When I work with clients, when I work with yoga teachers one-on-one, I keep my ears perked for the language they use that tells me that they're facing a mindset block rather than a a circumstantial problem. It's really difficult to figure that out in our own minds. Our brains are complete experts at convincing us that our mindset problems are circumstantial problems. That's why I personally still work a lot with different coaches on helping me to identify my own blocks so I can resolve them, dissolve them, and enjoy moving forward in my business with less drama and more momentum. 
If you suspect that you might have some mindset issues holding you back in your teaching, your business, or your life, I really hope that you'll consider hiring me for a strategy session or for a coaching package. It's my joy to get to support yoga teachers to create a sustainable and enjoyable teaching career. This past week, for example, I had the pleasure of working with a really lovely yoga teacher who I've known for a long time, and I really had no idea that she was struggling in any way because she is one. she's a person who kind of found a following almost immediately upon starting teaching, and she she just has this a really lovely way about her. It's peaceful and it you can tell she has a very strong meditation practice that she's had for decades and you can just feel that when you're around her. So until she signed up for a strategy session with me, I had no idea she was struggling. And it turns out that, you know, most of her struggles were mindset things. For example, she shared with me how drained she feels when people sign up for privates and then they want to be fixed. They want like their structural issues to be fixed. And it was such a revelation for her when I said, well, you know what? You you can tell people that you don't do that. You can tell people, oh, you, you're interested in a private? Well, the type of privates I do are based around meditation and relaxation. Is that something you're interested in? And you don't have to do structural privates. So that was a really, such a, a fun shift for her to get to feel empowered in setting boundaries around how she presents her yoga into the world. As a yoga teacher, you know, there are pluses and minuses, but you are your own boss and you need to take advantage of that. You do not have to do this the way that everybody else does it. You get to notice what fills you with energy and figure out how to make that what you do instead of copying what other people do. So I want you to keep that in mind when you think about doing a yoga video. As you listen to today's episode, maybe you'll get some ideas. How could you create a yoga video that truly reflects your personal style, your passions, and your unique perspective? I really want you to be true to yourself, but I also want you to take imperfect action So if you don't come up with something that's really unique and original, that is okay. You could come up with something that you feel really comfortable and confident teaching. That would be a good start. Or even better, something that you feel would be really of service, could really help people. There are so many things that you can do with a yoga video that I hope you'll consider taking on this project. For example, you can use it to attract new clients on a platform like YouTube or on social media. You can also use it to convert people who are already familiar with you, maybe have practiced with you, into newsletter subscribers who want to stay in touch with you and continue hearing from you by using it as a a freebie, a gift for people when they sign up for your email newsletter. Last week, we talked in episode 16 all about email newsletters and how to use, some people call them freemiums, some people call them lead magnets, how to use those to help incentivize people to take action to actually join your list. Because we all know that it's hard to get people to do something because they have so many options of different things to do. So we need to give them a little incentive. 
Another thing you can do with a video is you can nurture the people who are already connected to you, who are already on your email list. Give them just above and beyond a little extra. Help them keep you top of mind, even if they're not able to study with you in person right now. If you have ever thought about making a yoga video and then either put it off until later or decided it's just too much work, you definitely want to keep listening, get the free download. And if you even have a tiny desire to reach a bigger audience through video, I think you will be pleasantly surprised to hear that it does not have to be a big production and you can even make it happen on a super tight budget. My guest today, Jess Rose, is a Kansas City native who for the past 10 years has traveled the world to lead workshops, retreats, and teacher trainings. Since 2015, Jess has been teaching on doyouyoga.com, the world's largest online yoga community, and she has more than 50,000 students all over the world with her 30-day yoga program, among others. As a teacher of alignment-based vinyasa and hatha, her classes are founded on the importance of sustainable alignment and biomechanics, but her passion shines through in the form of creative sequencing, the exploration of themes, and an innate sense of playfulness and humor that I think you will get a taste of on the podcast. So I will not make you wait any longer. Let's jump into the interview and I will see you on the other side. Welcome to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast, Jess. I'm super excited to have you here to talk about making your own yoga videos. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here too. I would love to start by hearing just a little bit about your journey and how you got here, how you got the knowledge. I know that you told me just before we started that you are in Berlin right now and that they don't have air conditioning <laughs> there and it's 99 degrees. So. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm melting. So please excuse any slowness on my behalf today. <laughs> yeah, so I, I actually landed in Berlin about 12 years ago but I didn't start teaching yoga here until about eight years ago. And it's got a really nice yoga scene here, actually. It's really kind of far removed from the Western yoga scene that I experience every time I go home to the States. Um, in that people show up to yoga class in like their torn up like pajamas or like, you know, they just don't care so much. The whole commercialism of yoga, of course, it's like growing here slowly, but um, in general, it's super relaxed. And I just love that this was like my entry into the yoga world was in like the most chill environment possible where competition is like really low. And yeah, it's just a really nice scene here. So this is kind of where my roots are. That's awesome. And I know that you have kind of a story about how you got started doing yoga videos and you got discovered, right? Yeah, I did. I got scouted. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that was here in Berlin, and I think it was about uh, a year and a half after I finished my one of my teacher trainings. It was my very first teacher training in India, and then I came back to Berlin, and I started teaching just my friends and my colleagues. I was working at an international school as an English teacher, and so after work, I started teaching free classes, so like a 90-minute uh, vinyasa class with some breath work. And because I didn't put so much pressure on myself because the class was free and it was like all of my friends and my colleagues and stuff, it was just really easygoing and really light. And we had a lot of fun. 
And slowly people started telling their friends about it. So more and more people started coming that I didn't know, which was fine. And it was still free at this point. And one day this woman came in who I'd never seen before. And she stuck around after class and just asked me a few questions about my yoga journey and my teaching and stuff like that. And then she came again the next week and asked me if I wanted to teach online for a company called Do You Yoga, which I had been following them on Facebook for years at that point, um, ever since they started practicing yoga, which was like over a decade ago. So they were one of the very first like yoga online publications that I started following and she worked for them and I had no idea that they were headquartered in Berlin at that point so yeah that was really cool and at first I said no <laughs> to be honest because I hadn't been teaching for that long but also um, I really like in Berlin how non-commercial yoga is and was and yeah I had this idea in my head back then I was just prejudiced against it you know I was like no I don't want to teach online because I can't see my students and I don't know what's going on with their bodies and you know things that are actually legitimate that I still think about to this day of course but yeah I was just adamant and I was like no <clears throat> I'm, I'm kind of a punk you know I don't do like online flashy yoga vids that's not my style at all and so she sent me a couple emails afterwards and just like followed up. Like, are you sure? Are you sure? Like check out these videos. We might, you know, you might want to do something more in this direction that isn't so flashy. And eventually uh, the owner of the company decided to, or convinced me to come meet with him and was just like, we can do it your way. You plan all of your programs and all of your content and you know, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Just give it a try. And I was like, okay. And I tried it and it was super fun. And um, yeah, I never looked back. And that was in 2015. So now that you have, you know, you gave it a shot and you have a lot of experience, what did you learn about yoga videos and online yoga that would be helpful for other teachers to know? Like, what are the benefits of using this medium? Well, I mean, for me, it's a bit of a different story because I got, you know, kickstarted on this huge platform that already had like hundreds of thousands of followers. So it was really nice for me because I just jumped into this big audience. But because times are changing and everything is moving more and more towards being online, even yoga, I know it has huge benefits for teachers today. So the more content that you have online, it just means the more visibility you have for future students that might want to take a retreat or a training with you or come to your workshop. And this is huge, actually. Like when you start branching away from your local studio that you're working at and you want more people to come from out of town or you want to travel somewhere and lead a retreat, it's so important for people to be able to practice with you before they sign up for something that could be like a thousand bucks or two thousand bucks, you know, and they've never practiced with you. They just have your Facebook page or your Instagram account or whatever, which hopefully is really nice, but it doesn't give them an idea of, you know, if they're going to be compatible with your teaching style or if you teach yin and they're more vinyasa or whatever. Some people have no idea and also some teachers don't put on their website what style of yoga they teach. So it just allows people to see you. And it allows you to present yourself in your best light, hopefully. Um, so yeah, this attracts more studentship, basically. And would you say that, from my perspective, it's also a way to stay connected to people? Maybe they have 
practiced with you before, but they're not in a position for whatever reason, maybe your class time or maybe they moved away that they can't no longer practice with you regularly, but through video, they can stay connected to you and you can stay kind of in their minds so that when you have an offering, whether it's an online offering or uh, a retreat or a training that they might travel to, that, that they'll know about it and be thinking of it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this, it's the whole thing with visibility. People, as much as they love you in person and they love coming to your classes, the minute you're gone, right, if you move away for some reason or even if you take an extended vacation or go to study in India or something, they forget about you. And maybe yeah. they start taking classes with another teacher at another studio and, and whatever, and then maybe you never get them back. But this is just one way, it's true, to stay connected with your students. And then the more they practice with you, and I think also the more they see you in different contexts. So if they first start practicing with you in, in the studio, and then they start practicing with you online, and then, for example, if you start sending out a newsletter or something, then they see you in all of these different contexts, and it just makes the connection to you stronger, I think. So my students who first started off practicing with me in person and then switched to online, these are like, this is my retreat base and my teacher training base. Like because they see me grow in that way and because they practice with me in so many different ways. Yeah, like it's just a really strong connection and they're super dedicated and they're my favorite students. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so you started in a context where other people were kind of producing the videos and then now you've made some videos that you produced yourself, right? Yes, but not very many. <laughs> because I will say what, it's hard work. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And that's what we're mostly going to talk about today, how to do it yourself. Yes. Yeah, we're going to tackle this. <laughs> so let's get started. Is there anything, that, anything else that you think yoga teachers should know before getting educated about how? Yeah. To create a yoga video. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, we, we touched on this a little bit already, but just like when you start any yoga practice, right? When you step on your mat, you have to figure out why, like, what is your intention? What is your sankalpa? And if you have a really strong reason behind it, it's going to make the process so much more doable, or it will just keep you motivated, right? So, I guess before I jump into like the juicy bits and the, the logistics of how to make the video, I would like to share with your audience about what they could do with their video once they have it. So why they would even want to make it in the first place, right? Because it's such like this huge, it seems like an insurmountable task for a normal human who aren't super tech savvy or don't have any like video production knowledge. It's like, oh my God, I have no idea how to even start with this. Like I have my cell phone and I can take selfies and maybe do some Insta stories and that's about it. Yeah. Um, but if you have some reasons why you might want to do it, then it might give you a little bit of extra push. So, awesome. so one of the first things is to include it in a CV and a resume. So especially if you're a like a brand new teacher and you're just starting out and you're starting to apply at different studios, this is something that can definitely up your game and make you stand out among applicants for the same position, right? So if you have an amazing CV and you've got a couple pictures attached, I don't know what the rules are in the States with attaching photos, but in Europe, you're allowed to attach 
pictures. But then on top of that, if you have a video of you teaching, if it's just for five or 10 minutes, just so the studio owner gets to hear your voice and see your style and kind of like hear the cues that you give and just get your overall vibe, it makes that connection again with the studio owner. And it is so like, it's made all the world of difference for me. Like when I first started teaching online, I was still doing in-person jobs. You know, I was still working at studios and um, yeah, it definitely gave me the one up and I got most of the jobs that I applied for. Yeah. That is such a great idea. I, early on a few months ago, early on, because this is still <laughs> early on in the podcast, but <laughs> one of the first episodes I did was on how to get hired by a yoga studio. Uh-huh. And this is a really great way to stand out from the crowd because not a lot of people, not a lot of new teachers are going to have that. Yeah. And by providing a video, you're making it really easy on the hiring manager. Yeah. Because they're able to they're able to get a sense of whether or not you'd be a fit without having to do any work. They don't have to call you. They don't have to set up schedule a schedule an audition. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And also it's gonna make you more memorable. And it shows that you took the time to, you know, put in the work and like go a little bit further than most people. And I know like some big studios and some jobs that like post on yogatrade.com, for example, they get like hundreds of applications for one job. And so if every single CV looks exactly the same, they're going to have brain melt, you know, and they're just going to be like kind of zoning out as they're going through these applications. But if they can scroll down to the bottom and just click on a YouTube link, they're going to be like, oh, sweet. I can kind of chill and watch this and relax and then get to know you better than they ever could through like your word document or your PDF, you know, that you send them. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a huge one. And just for, in case listeners were confused by the word CV, that's the European word for resume. (laughs) Right. I'm so far removed from the States. Like I grew up there obviously. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been about 15 years since I lived in America. I know. And I get to translate because my, my parents are European. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that's one point. And then another point is that once you start building your audience, right? So let's say you're more of an established teacher or whatever, you've been teaching for a while and your students want a little bit more from you, or you want to give your students a little bit more than just the in-studio classes. This is a really nice time to start a newsletter. And I don't know if you've talked on your podcast yet about newsletters, but I don't think you have. No, it's, it's in the works. I, I have, I'm working on episodes about newsletters and they're going to be released shortly. I, I can't remember either right before or right after your, oh, this episode. Oh, yeah. those will go perfectly together. Okay. They will. Yeah. <laughs> so when you start doing your newsletter as a yoga teacher, I mean, first of all, this is an amazing way to just tell your students about your upcoming events, but to get new people to sign up for your newsletter, I think the term is called a freemium, but I don't know, like all this marketing slang, like jargon, but anyway. Yeah, some people call it that. Some people call it a lead magnet. That's like, I think a more more like business-like term for the same (laughs) thing, yeah. Okay, so basically it's like this thing, this gift, right? Like your your free offer that you give to whoever decides to type in their email address and give that to you. So yeah, if you just say, 
sign up for my newsletter. People will be like, no, why? I don't want spam, you know? But if you're like, hey, you can get this cool thing that I made, then they're like, oh, sweet. I want to take a 20-minute vinyasa flow class with Mado, right? So then they type in their email address. So if you have this thing, this incentive that will help them make the decision to sign up for your newsletter, you'll talk about it on your newsletter podcast, but this is like where you get conversion. So money from your online students turning into actual in-person students coming to your events and your workshops and things like this. So video is great for that. And not only can you use that to get them to initially sign up, but you can also use additional videos to get them to stay signed up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you, you know, that's one of the things you can promise them is, okay, every month I'm going to release a new video or whatever schedule works for you. So that if sometimes you're sending out newsletters that are more promotional, like, oh, come to my, come to my retreat, they're not going to unsubscribe because they still want to keep getting those additional videos from you. Yeah. They need the goods. They're not just going to open it. If you're like, here's this event and this event and give me all your money. (laughs) They're like, what am I getting? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. So yeah, I think those are the biggest reasons why you would want to do it. But then just one more little cherry on top is that the world is changing. And even us hippy dippy yoga teachers as much as we resist like the change to going online and to being virtual, at least for me, I don't know what the atmosphere is where you are, but um, it's happening, you know, whether we like it or not, it's definitely happening. So it's just a way to be seen in a more professional light, right? If you have nothing online, if you have no website, no Facebook, no videos, then you're probably going to just get lost Um, in the sea of yoga teachers that are taking advantage of technology. So yeah, I resisted it for a long time. And now here I am teaching yoga online. So, you know, I think it's worth it. I think it's a lot of work, but I do think it's definitely worth it. Awesome. I agree. I mean, I, I think it's, it's the way of the future and if we want to be, what's the word react is reactionary. The word I'm like thinking of like the Amish or whatever, or pioneers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just mean like, if we want to not go with the future, not go with the wave of the future, I think we need to make a really specific choice about that and mm-hmm. not just do it out of fear, not just, do right. it because, Oh, I don't, I, I'm not capable of that. I don't know how to do that. Um, I think it's a valid choice to be like, you know what? No, but I don't think those people are going to be listening to this episode. <laughs> Probably not. They're like, what's a podcast? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, fear is a legitimate thing, right? But it's something that yoga teachers, we talk about all the time to our students, right? This is a big theme in classes. It's like, we're like, oh, no worries. Do a headstand, get over your fear. But then at the same time, are you walking your talk? Like if you're scared of the unknown of the online realm, then maybe it's time to also give yourself a fear check. Like, you know, am I not doing this out of principle? And that's one thing because whatever people are addicted to their devices and like that's legitimate. But if you're do, if you're not doing it because you're scared and you don't want to be vulnerable in that way, because I mean, it opens you up to a whole new world of vulnerability, right? There's like trolls online. People are so mean online because of the anonymity of it. 
it's really difficult, you know, to make the decision to go online and just put yourself out there like that. So if fear is what's stopping you and it's not, you know, a moral principles thing, then yeah, it's something to look at and it's interesting. It's definitely an opportunity for growth. Like whenever we notice that we're not doing something out of fear instead of out of principle, it's, you know, that's a place that we know that we have some potential to grow. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So for people, for people who are, you know, no, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm ready. Let's start going into the steps. Let's do it. Okay. Um, so the first thing that you need to decide is what style of video are you going to make? So basically like what your subject matter is. And this is purely dependent on what style of yoga you teach. So don't try to branch out into something new when you make your very first yoga video. So stick to what you know the best. So as if you were going to go have an audition at a yoga studio to get a job, pick like your best 10 or 20 minutes. So the subject matter that you love, the poses that you love and that you know really well, and then maybe if you want to do a theme, of course, you don't have to, but just make sure that it's super solid and it's something that you feel really comfortable with, especially if it's like your first time on camera or teaching yoga on camera, because that adds a whole new element, right? And then it also depends, uh, the subject matter depends on what you're going to use your video for. So if it's going to go along with your resume, then you're going to want to do something like some sun salutations, or like your opening, your centering, then your sun salutations, and then a couple balance postures, and then a cool down, whatever. So keep it short, but make sure that it's relevant to what you're going to use it for. So if you're going to use it to try to, I don't know, sell a retreat or a teacher training or something, your content will be completely different to what it would be if you're just trying to get a job at a studio. And then if you're going to be using this as like, repeat content or like content that you're building upon for a newsletter, then you can have like a big subject and then break it down into little videos. So like you can do like an inversion package, right? Where you start off with like the easier kinds of inversions and arm balances and then progress your way into harder poses, right? So it just, um, it makes sense to take a minute and really sit down and think about what am I going to do with this video or with these videos before you're like, okay, I got it. Let's go. So yeah. And again, this is your Sankalpa. What's your intention behind the video? The next thing I think that's important is to pick the location. So sometimes scouting for a location is really difficult, but if you're just going to keep this really low key, then you can use your apartment, of course, if it's big enough. The only thing is lighting is really important. Space is really important. And not having a bunch of furniture in the way is really important as well. So I can't really give you like exact dimensions of how big a room needs to be in order for it to work because it depends on the lens that you use on your camera. So if you have a professional grade camera, which we'll talk about the camera in a little bit, that can change how big the room needs to be. But if you're just filming on like your cell phone, you're gonna need to be pretty far away from your yoga mat, which means that you're not gonna wanna have a whole lot of furniture like along the walls or something in front of your camera or between you and your camera. What do you think about filming at a, like at the yoga studio you teach at, you know, finding a time when there's not classes. Sometimes some places early mornings, they don't have classes and that could be really great light. 
the totally. gray around sunrise. Yeah, totally. Um, I think that's an amazing idea. And also it's something that you can offer the studio like to their students. You can say, Hey, I'll do a trade with you. So if you let me film a 20 minute flow class at your studio, then I will give that to you to send off to your email subscribers or your mind body subscribers. Right. And so it's like, it's benefiting both parties. And it's also like the students are like, Oh, cool. They're now they're filming videos at the studio. You know what I mean? Like it kind yeah. of ups the professionalism. Yeah. I think that's a really good idea. The one thing that I found though, is that a lot of studios have a lot of echo. So when they're not full of people, it's so echoey. So it depends if you're doing like live audio. So if you're talking while you're teaching, or if you're going to do voiceover stuff and not record any audio when you film the actual video, then the studio works great. So that's okay. just something to think about. Yeah. And the same goes for if you're recording at your house. So like in Europe, we have really high ceilings. So it would be almost impossible for me to record in my apartment right now because the ceilings are like probably, I don't know. Anyway, way higher than they are in the States, right? But I know a lot of the ceilings in the States are lower. So this actually helps you. It's like a good benefit. Yeah. And we do have listeners all over the world. So there's gotcha. definitely people in Europe <laughs> listening sure. to. So it sounds yeah. like there's kind of a tension between audio and visual with the size of the space. Like for visual, a bigger space is good and gives you more flexibility. But for audio, a smaller space is better. So you're like, trying to find that happy medium is that yeah but I mean it really depends on how how you want to work your audio so okay so that let's just jump right to the audio then so I would say in general don't ever use the built-in mic on your computer or your phone or your camera so whatever you're using to record your video don't use that mic use an external mic so this helps a lot if you have a big echoey room. If you have a really good mic and there's a couple different options that you can use for mics, then it doesn't matter. And you want the room to be really big and really bright and really spacious. And that just makes the whole thing look beautiful. Because if you've ever hopped on YouTube and just typed in yoga class or yoga sequence, there's like a million videos, right? So there's, if you're trying to put your stuff up on YouTube, there's a lot of competition. So you want it to look nice, but the sound is super important. Okay, so for the audio, for the mics, there's a couple of different things that you could try. So one of them, and this is the easiest option. So if you've never done a yoga video and you're scared and you don't know what to do and you're not super tech savvy, go with the voiceover. This is the easiest way to do it. Although it takes more work post-production. So after you filmed it, you're going to have to sit down and like watch your video a few times and take notes and think about what you want to say. So it's like pre-scripted, right? So for some people, this is easier. And for some people, this is harder to do it that way. Um, but it just makes it so that you don't have to worry about the audio, the live audio at all. So especially if you're, if you, the space that you have found, you know, has tall ceilings or kind of, you know, wood floors, lots of glass, lots of windows might be echoey, then that would be another reason to choose the, the voiceover option. Yes. Unless you have what's called a lavalier mic. So there's a couple of different mics that you can use. One of them is like the Britney Spears mic. 
I don't, or like the pop star mic, you know what I mean? That like, you have like a headset. Yeah. Like that one. <laughs> and then we have video, we have video going <laughs> and I was showing her my headset. <laughs> um, and yeah. And so then the mic hooks around and, uh, comes in front of your mouth, like a call center worker or something like this. But I always call it my Britney Spears mic. I use this one on do you yoga a lot. And I love it. They always give me the option. Do you want the lapel mic? So the one that clips to the front of your t-shirt or do you want the Britney mic? And I'm like, it's Britney bitch, but it's totally dependent. On <laughs> We're going to have to make this episode explicit now. <laughs> oh no, is that, is that a taboo word? <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure, but that's okay. We'll, okay. We'll we can, let's change it to biatch. Is that better? I don't know. I have no idea. Probably. Oh my God. Of course. Leave it to me to have the, the one explicit episode on, on your podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you will not be the, the, the last. I feel Absolutely. like that's like a PG 13 word, right? No. <laughs> oh my God. Standards they're are really so different serious. depending on where they're you are. Really in the world. serious. Yeah. Really? Totally. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, okay, small so children beware. <laughs> I don't know why any small children would want to listen to this podcast, but just in case. No, it's just, it's actually a podcast thing where you have to either label your podcast as explicit or not. Oh, gotcha. And iTunes is very serious about it. Like you can oh. get banned for not labeling your podcast correctly. Oh my God. Anybody out there who's considering doing a podcast. There you go. See, so much wisdom coming up. <laughs> <laughs> So your first option, your mic options, you've got headset mic mm -hmm. and then you've got the lapel mic. So the one that clips to your shirt. So that mic is, it works really well because you can hide the wire underneath your shirt and then that actual device that's um, recording, you just clip it to your pants, right? So you just kind of tuck it into your, um, your leggings. But the only issue is if you're going to wear a baggy shirt, that one doesn't work because then it's like, you know, moving around and there's lots of rustling and stuff. So you have to wear a tight, like a tight top if you're going to have the lapel mic. And then with the other one, the mouth mic, the Britney Spears mic, it doesn't matter. So you can wear whatever you want. So those are just a couple different things as far as those mics go. But then if you're going to be doing voiceover, so you film the whole video and then later you sit down in front of a video, video editing program and you're like, okay, now I'm going to record the audio, then you would want a different mic. So those first two mics are only good for like when you're moving around, right? And besides that, they're not super high quality. So if you're going to sit down and record, there's one that's called a Blue Yeti mic and it's about a hundred bucks. And so this would be what you would want to use for your voiceover. But you can also use a Zoom mic, which is what I use. It's a little bit more expensive. I think it starts more like around $150, but it's really good too. And the mic I'm using for the podcast would work also. It's a little bit cheaper than the Blue Yeti. It's an ATR 2100. So that's Audio-Technica 2100. And I think that's more like $60. Nice. So we will create a list for anybody who is an email subscriber. That'll be one of the bonuses for this episode is that we'll create a list of all of these all of this equipment so that you can have direct links to the ones that we recommend. So that's a freemium. You've got a newsletter yes, freemium. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Full circle here. Okay. 
so yeah, and then as far as the uh, the wireless mic, so like the lapel mic or the the pop star mic, there's a brand called, and I don't know how to pronounce it. It's probably Fifine, like Hi-Fi. So it's F-I-F-I-N-E, and they're on Amazon. And they have a bunch of different products. So they also have the static mics, like for recording podcasts or, or voiceover. But they um, they have a lot of like the lapel, cheaper lapel mics and the wireless mics that you would use if you're moving around and teaching at the same time as you practice. Good. So the point of the lapel mic and the, and the pop star mic, as opposed to using the mic on your camera or on your phone is first of all, the one that's built into your device is probably not the best, but also it'll pick up like your footsteps on the floor or like, you, you know, like your hands moving on the mat or the dogs barking on the street. Whereas the one that's like right in front of your mouth will hopefully only pick up your words because you don't want any outside noise coming in. Yeah. And the, you know, the more modern ones like that, they'll have really good noise canceling features. Yeah. So they'll be designed specifically just to pick up words, just to pick up human voices. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So shall we move on to the camera? Yeah. Let's just, you know, recap and clarify that you have two basic options for your sound to either talk while you're recording while you're practicing, which is going to be simpler post-production, but definitely more complicated during your 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 during the point of recording the video, mm -hmm. or layering your audio on top of your video, which is easier initially, but most more post-production work. Right, and it's actually it's quite a lot of work to do voiceovers. I just finished a program for doing yoga, and it's like we had like a hundred little videos, like 10 minute videos, and I had to do voiceovers for all of them and it took ages. So I wanna say if you are the type of person that likes to take the easy route, then even though it's a little bit more difficult to figure out the sound with the lapel mic, I would say take that option for sure. And for most people as well, sorry, it's, it's easier, especially if you're a new teacher to give the cues as you're practicing. So this is something that, you know, it's, it's common to say like, the better that you get as you teach, the less you should be doing the practice on your mat and the more you should be walking around the room and assisting your students and observing, right? So you shouldn't be doing the practice while you teach. But this is one of the rare times where it's actually a little bit beneficial to do it because you've just got everything in one take. You've got your audio, you've got your video, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. You just need to give it a quick edit and then you're done. Yeah. And the other thing I would say is, you know, you, when you're doing your, your stuff for do you yoga, that's a very professional platform, but for my audience, for the listeners to this podcast, if this is your first yoga video, I would give yourself permission to not do like the perfect job. Think of, think of getting your first video to about 80% and then releasing it and focusing on the next one. Because I don't know about you, Jess, but I know that I have spent a lot of time in my life holding myself back because I wasn't producing something that was perfect, something that was, you know, even up to like 98 or 99% good. And I would just use that as an excuse to, to not act, to not do things. So that's part of 
but it's part of why I picked the podcast is because I knew that I was not going to be able to do that with this. I am going to, I have to let this podcast, I have to release episodes before they're perfect and I have to just get them to 80% and then let them go. Exactly. Yeah, totally. And I mean, if you go to my website, you can see 99.9% of the videos that I have on my site are professionally produced. And, you know, I've got a team of like experts and professionals working to make this stuff amazing looking. And then there's like two videos that I've done by myself, like completely on my own. And they are far from perfect. The lighting isn't amazing. And, you know, it's just very obvious that I did this by myself. And when I did it, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm downgrading from like, you know, very high standards with do yoga to like my at home videos that I'm doing by myself. But honestly, I feel really good about it. And like, I made this, it doesn't matter how bad I think it is. You know, it's just the fact that I created this and I took the time. So I'm proud of myself, although it is a vulnerable spot for sure. And like a lot of fear comes with that, but if you go to my website, you can, you can check out the ones that I've done at home and it's, it's pretty obvious, but you know, they work It's fine. What's your, what's your web address? It's www.jessrose.yoga. Perfect. Yeah. Pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So shall we go into the camera now? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So one really good thing about having a new cell phone is that the cameras are getting amazing on the new cell phones. And I used to hate the idea of like upgrading my cell phone all the time. So every time there's like a new model, just like throwing the old one in the, in the landfill, like I felt really guilty about that, but I did have to upgrade to a new phone because I got what I'm using sometimes to record my videos is the new Samsung. I think it's called the S nine plus. And I, I'm not sponsored. This is not an ad, <laughs> but it has really good video. So there's two cameras built into this phone. And then I know the new iPhones as well just have really, really good video. So before you go out and buy like a really expensive video camera, like a Canon or something, if you have a new cell phone, it is probably fine. And you can choose the option when you upload and go onto the video editing sites, what what quality you want to do. And a lot of them you can do like the FHD. So you can do like really high quality, high definition just on your cell phone. So you might not need to even buy a camera, but if you have an old phone and you're like, no, I don't really want to upgrade and I would rather use a camera. Of course, that's a good option too. The one that, so for this, I had to ask my um, production manager from DU Yoga what he recommended because uh, I'm not an expert with cameras, but he recommended, and this is what he uses um, at home, is a Canon, in Europe it's called a 1300D, and in the States, I think it's called the EOS Rebel, or the EOS Rebel. It's the same camera, but for some reason it has different names, depending on where you're located in the world. It's like a couple hundred bucks and you can get it at like places like Costco. Like I think my dad has that same camera and he got it at Costco and was like really proud of it. So yeah, not that I want to, you know, advertise Costco either, but just saying it's available. It's like a widely, it's widely available. available. Yeah. <laughs> and it does a really good job. So one thing that you might think about 
if you're deciding whether or not to use your phone or whether or not to buy a camera is your quality of the videos that you want to produce. So if you're like super gung ho and you're like, I'm going to go for it and I just want to start teaching online and I'm ready to make a huge investment, then going for a, like an actual camera and not a cell phone camera is a really good choice because then you can buy the lenses and that's where that is like a key difference, right? So if you see the videos that I've produced myself on my website, you will see that there's only one option on the lens and it's like, it's very standard, you know? So I have my, my video set up and it's in one position and it doesn't move and it's not wide angle by any means. So you just like, what you see is what you get. But if you get a camera, like an actual camera, you can, you know, switch your lenses around and it's just amazing. Like you can turn a really small space into a really big looking space. So it just makes everything more open and more visually pleasing, right? Which is, you know, it's pretty nice to follow along to a yoga video that looks lovely. You know, one thought that I just had this just flashed through my mind is that another option in between buying a camera and um, and using your phone is to think through if there is anybody in your life who already has a video camera, a nice video camera that they don't use all the time that they yeah, might yeah. lend you. Yeah, definitely. You know, your dad, exactly. And <laughs> your brother, who 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 might have a decent video camera um, that they'd be like, sure, you can use it for a weekend or whatever. Yeah. And then even if they don't have the lens that you want, let's say you do want to splurge and get a wide angle lens. If you could just borrow their camera, like let's say it's a family member and you know that you're always going to be able to borrow it, then you can just make the investment of buying the lens. And then you have that and you can borrow their camera whenever. And then you don't end up spending like a thousand bucks, but you just buy the lens for their camera. Yeah. So that's a really good idea. Totally. So if you were going to record on your phone, I would say one really important thing is, or even on a camera, right, is to get a tripod. So just make sure that your phone or your camera is super stable and sturdy. Um, and you can get a tripod for like 15 bucks on Amazon or at the store or whatever. So it doesn't need to be like super high tech. Um, Are there different tripods for phones versus regular cameras or do they adapt back and forth? As far as I know, they don't adapt. Um, so the camera ones have like a screw in the bottom. So you have to screw the camera on top of it. But the cell phone ones have this weird like springy clip thing that clips to the top of the phone. Now surely there must be an adapter, right? Somebody's I, made an adapter. <laughs> you know, I don't, I'm sure. I'm sure somewhere. Okay. If you, but we don't know. If we you don't do know enough digging it. online, like you can find anything. Yeah. Um, but still, I mean, it's like 20 bucks, right? So it's not like a huge thing to like go out and buy that. Um, and the quality for the tripods doesn't have to be anything spectacular. Like, yeah, the cheapest ones all are totally fine. They work, you know? It's probably just about durability. So, you know, I would just go for super cheap until you're sure that you're going to be doing massive amounts of filming in exotic locations. Exactly. Yeah. If you're like schlepping it around to like the desert or to, you know, tropical locations, like maybe, but even then I take my 20 euro tripod with me wherever I go and I use it and I've used it for like four years now and it's all great. 
Totally. I mean, it's so, it's so funny though, that comes back to that whole um, tension between the disposable world we live in and our values for, oh gosh, I really, you know, I don't want to buy a can a, 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 any item that I know is going to, I'm going to have to dispose of, yeah. but sometimes it just makes sense. Yeah. And maybe you won't ever dispose battles. of it. Maybe right. you'll keep it for the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, mine's done a really good job, I have to say. Um, yeah. So that's, that's basically all that I have for the camera. I'm not an expert when it comes to cameras and, you know, filming and stuff like that. So also just asking people if you have someone in your life that's into that kind of stuff and you really want to, you know, make it professional and you want to upgrade or whatever, then yeah, I'm sure there's people that know more than I do about the camera situation, but. Sometimes it's best when you're getting started though, not to ask an expert because Sometimes when you ask an expert, you get way more detail than you can handle. <laughs> That's true. And especially like in this realm, there's already so much that you're juggling, right? And for like most normal humans, this is just like way far away from anything that we're used to doing. So yeah, keep it simple all the way. If you have a decent enough uh, camera on your phone, then just use that. Good advice. Yeah. Okay, so we've got the audio, we've got the video, and um, I guess the next thing, and we've got the content, right? So the next thing to think about is what you will actually do. So what, um, how you will present yourself to the world. So one thing that I have learned from working with Do Yoga that I wouldn't have known otherwise is something about picking your colors that you're gonna wear. So contrast is a really big thing when you're um, filming a video. So for example, if you're going to in front of a white wall, you probably won't want to wear white or black because it's too contrasty. And the camera has a really hard time picking up details and everything just kind of gets washed out. So yeah, basically what we do when I film with them is we pick like dual tones. So colors are really nice on camera. What really looks not so great is really busy patterns. So if you have like really small like prints on your leggings or on your tops or whatever, or like stripes, uh, usually don't work. So if you've ever seen like an older, an older video from like the 60s or 70s or something where someone's wearing like a black and white striped outfit, and you can see it like waves around, like it turns into this weird like magic eye looking thing in front of the camera. Do you know what I'm talking about? Totally. Yeah, yeah like it creates this weird like pattern. Um, some of the cameras still do that. So most of them won't. If you have a newer camera, then they know how to handle it these days. But um, to be on the safe side, you know, just don't pick anything that's like too distracting, too busy. Keep it simple and clean. Yeah. And that's about it as far as clothing, but then, you know, and this seems really petty, but it's worth thinking about is like your hair. How are you gonna do your hair for your video? Because if you have one of the, like the pop star mics that goes in front of your mouth and you decide to have your hair down, it's just gonna get caught in it and like wrap around your microphone and then it's, it's just gonna sound horrible. And you know, the more things are brushing against the mic, obviously the worse it's gonna sound. Oh, and as somebody with puffy curly hair, if I wear 
if I wear one of those mics, I would not wear one of those in a video because it would, it makes my hair look really weird. Like you would look at me like, what's wrong with her hair? It just kind of like flattens it in this weird, you know, pattern. (laughs) So just, you know, something to think about too, as you're buying your mic, if, if your hair is part of your look, you know, like some people have hair that's more versatile. Like you can do lots of different things with it and you can mm-hmm. tie it back. But for me, I kind of only have one thing I can do with my hair. <laughs> <laughs> the poof. Yeah. yeah. So, I, you know, I tame it a little bit. It's not, you know, it's, it's not like it always looks exactly the same, but um, I, I only use that mic when I'm not being recorded. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a good point and it's something to think about because I have seen plenty of videos, like even on professional websites, like, you know, yoga websites where the girl, like bless her heart. She's a great teacher. Whoever's doing the class, you know, everything looks amazing, but she decided to wear her hair down because we're petty creatures like that sometimes. And we're like, well, I just want to look really good on camera. It totally makes sense. And I get it. But then, you know, if you're like flipping your hair around the whole time and you're just like fussing with your hair, it's super distracting. So yeah, like for me, I'm such a hippie at heart and I like, I always have my hair down no matter where I'm going, what I'm doing. Like I just have like a lot of flowy hair all over the place. And when I started teaching online, they were like, you absolutely cannot have your hair down. And I was like, no, this is like my look. And I was so attached to that. But then I realized like the more videos I see of you know, women that have their hair down, it's, it doesn't work somehow, especially if you're going to do a down dog, which you probably are, then your hair is going to end up tangled in your mic, you know? Um, so yeah. Yeah. How important is your look? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, your attachment to your idea of this is supposed to be my look versus, okay, this is what's actually practical and what works in this situation. Yeah. And I mean, this goes all the way back to like, it's a really vulnerable space to record a yoga video because first of all, you're in spandex and then you're putting yourself out there onto the, you know, on the web to the world. And then you don't have the hairdo that you normally like to have. And it's just, you know, it's seems trivial, but it's, you know, it adds up. Right. So it makes it a scary thing to do. Um, but it's worth it in the long run to just get over it, tie the hair back, make sure everything is in place and then you'll have no problems but the, the quality of the video, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I wanted to say about the hair and the look and the colors and everything like that. So I think the next thing to talk about is what do you do once you have your video recorded, right? So um, there's a couple of... Can, can I ask yeah. you a question before we jump into that that is more related to the actual making of the video? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about presence, on-screen presence? Because I know that there are things that you can do, especially some people feel really self-conscious on video. Do you have any tips for people to feel more comfortable and to get a more authentic and, you know, real sense of connection in that environment? Yeah. So this one was really hard for me because by nature, I'm not a performer. Like I, I, I just found this so difficult when I first started filming. The thing that really works is to do it often. So, you know, practice or record and just put it out there. And obviously the more you do anything, the more comfortable you're going to be at it. But 
there's also like little tips and tricks that I looked up on like YouTube of like how to prepare yourself to film and like it seems silly but it's like vocal exercises like vocal warm-ups are really important right um like for actors or singers or whatever they'll like go through this thing where they go to like their deepest note all the way up to the highest note and then you go back down and like just it <laughs> uh, no I'm right there with you I I do that before I record a podcast episode not every time but I've had enough times where I get started and then I start I'm like oh my god my throat's closing up <laughs> yeah that, I have started doing vocal warmups. I didn't yeah. do any today, but I had a long converse, like I had a, um, a coaching call with somebody mm -hmm. that like 45 minutes long right before you. So I knew I was warmed up. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it really does make a difference because if you sit down in front of the camera and your voice doesn't work, then everything just like, you know, it's all just gone to, I don't know what word I can use now. It just doesn't work. No, but you can because we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna label this episode explicit, so you can you can use any word you want. Okay, well then the rest of it's gone to hell because if your <laughs> voice doesn't work, then your message doesn't come through, and then the whole thing is just you know it's worthless. So yeah, vocal warm ups are really important, and it's really important to feel comfortable with your voice, especially if you know you're used to teaching a class. And then you get into like a room by yourself in front of a camera and like just like white walls around you and you're like, oh, oh my God, you know, you're put on the spot and then the first thing to go is your voice. So I would definitely recommend looking into those. I think there's like a TED video, a TED talk where they go through vocal exercises that's really good. And I forget the name of the guy that does it, but it's, it was amazing. I don't do it anymore, but when I first started filming, I would do those before I, I would start. and then. Another thing that's really helped me is, especially when I have someone with me in the room that can go and sit behind the camera, right? So that instead of me talking to the camera, I'm talking to them. So if it's like a boyfriend or a parent or a sibling or just like a buddy, it's so helpful, especially if you have like a really good relationship with this person. Then, um, then you teach the class as if you're talking to them and everything is actually fine and hopefully the nerves go away a little bit. So I think those are my two biggest pieces of advice, but just practice as well. Those are great. One other thing that I would add, and this is something that is a little bit counterintuitive, but you don't have to start talking the minute that the camera starts rolling. Mm. So you can take as much time as you need to get used to being on camera and to kind of relax a little bit, meditate. And because I know that I noticed that whenever I would record, whether it was podcast or you know, whether it was audio or video that I would feel this like pressure, like I need to start talking right away. Yeah. And that's just not true. In fact, it's, it's helpful to get some room noise, you know, just in case you need to do some kind of weird editing, it's good to get some silence because you're, there's never actually silence. So the room has a, like a tone of its own. And so that, that's something that's been a really good discipline for me is to, just pause <laughs> totally and center and then start talking. Exactly. It's like before you go to teach any class as well, right? You need to take a minute and get grounded. So if that's like breath work or a little meditation and it's totally true, like press play on the camera and then do your centering because 
you know, a lot of us are like deer in headlights when it's like three, two, one action. Then we're like, ah, but if you just like go through that process of like turn the camera on and then, you know, find your peace with what's going on in the situation, then for sure you start from, you know, a much less frantic and scatterbrained place. And of course that's going to come through on the video. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. So let's go into the post-production stuff now. Okay. So the easiest option here is for Apple owners, which I am not, unfortunately. I always make everything more difficult for myself by going Android. But if you have an Apple, so if you have a Mac, iMovie is amazing and it comes with your Mac. And you've probably played with it before if you have a Mac. And if you haven't, I recommend it. It's pretty fun. Um, they have like lots of weird little effects and filters and you know things that you can do, which might not work for a yoga video, but uh, it's just fun to play with. Do they have iMovie on iPhones or just on the computers? I'm pretty sure that they have them on the phones, but I don't know because I've never, I, I always buy Samsung. But I'm sure if it doesn't come on the phone, then maybe there's an option to like download it or, you know, get the app or something. No, it comes. I got it because I have an iPhone. So I just looked it up on my phone. <laughs> cool. Do you ever yeah. use it to edit your video? No, I've never, I've never used it. No. <gasps> it's so easy. It's so intuitive. It's like drag and drop the clips and the audio and like, you know, just to trim everything. It's so easy. You just click on the end of the clip and then you pull it in. And then if you want to make it longer, you pull it back out. It's just so easy. Yeah. So um, if you have an Apple, then that's amazing. And I would definitely recommend to do everything in iMovie just because it'll make your life a lot easier and, you know, you don't have to pay for anything. But for those of us who do not purchase Apple products, then we have a couple of options too. But like with my computer, I had to buy a program, but it was pretty cheap. Not the cheapest thing ever, but pretty cheap. So there's two programs that I've used in the past. And the first one that I ever tried was called ClipChamp. Again, I'm not sponsoring any of these things that I'm talking about today. ClipChamp, I think I spent like maybe $10. So it's like $10 per video if you want to make like a high definition video, or you can get like a yearly plan or something like this. And this one worked a lot like iMovie. So it was like drag and drop and everything was pretty simple to use. And then for some reason, I decided I didn't like it. The export stuff was messing up on my computer. So then I switched to WeVideo. And this is what I have now. And this is what I've been using. Um, so like if I make a video, even that I want to upload on like Instagram or I don't know, just on social media or something, then I'll edit it in WeVid, WeVideo. And uh, I think I pay like for the first year, it's like $90 for the year. Um, and then after that, it, it goes up like 10 or 20 bucks or something like that. So, I mean, it's not free, but it's also not like crazy. It's like $10, $10 a month, right? And if you decide that making videos is something that you want to do regularly, then, then 10 bucks is totally worth it. Um, so those are just the two that I've used, but uh, I'm not sure. Maybe there are easier ones, but those are the ones that I found after kind of like digging around on the web and like, you know, typing into Google, like best cheap online video editors. Yeah. 
Now I used to have, and I, I just did a quick search on my computer and I couldn't find it, but I used to have a free video editing software program that worked fine for me. It's not like I used it a whole bunch. And it wasn't um, iMovie? No, because I don't have a Mac. Oh, I see. Um, but I can't remember the name of it. I want to, I'm thinking it was something like fruity, like they had some kind of fruit. Anyway, I will try to look for it. And if I, if I can find it, I will link to it in the show notes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, basically like the thing about the video editor is that, um, it has to be in a format that feels comfortable for you. So if you've done any video editing in the past, then there's probably a certain look of the software that you're used to. So a lot of them kind of are based on the iMovie model where there's like, you know, you drag the clips to the bottom half of the screen and on the top half of the screen, you can kind of see your project as you work on it and stuff. Um, so I would just say like, go through a couple of different options and you can just watch like a quick YouTube tutorial, like two minutes or whatever, and then just see whichever one looks the most visually appealing to you. Like it's going to be easy to use. Then just go with that one. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's about, oh, you know what we haven't talked about is lighting. Oh gosh. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, um, this one is, it's a little bit tricky, right? Uh, this is one of the reasons that people end up hiring professional videographers and, you know, production people to make their, their videos, not just yoga, but in general is because lighting is a really tricky thing. So the first option, and this is, you know, the easiest path is to use natural lighting, but it totally depends on your space that you have. So having a room with a bunch of natural light is the best way to go. And then doing it at a time of day that the room is like full of light is the best option. And that's going to be free, but it's not always so easy. So if you don't have natural lighting that you can use, um, then there's a package that's called the two point lighting kit that's on Amazon. And it's actually not that expensive. It's $90. Um, and then it gives you two different lights. So it basically takes off any shadow. So if you have light coming at you from a couple of different directions, then it means that like you won't have like the shadow of your nose on your face if you only are lit from one side or like, yeah, so you light from the sides, basically at a diagonal coming in towards your body. And that's, I would say that's the best option for lighting if you can't use natural light. But this one is pretty big, like in order of importance for your yoga video, I would say audio is the most important. And the second is gonna be, you know, the video quality and lighting is probably more important than even the quality of the camera that you're using just because you don't want to watch a dark video, you know, even if it's in high def, if you go onto YouTube and there's like a bunch of different options and a bunch of them are bright and like happy looking and warm and inviting. And then there's like one dark one, you're probably not going to click on that one. So yeah, lighting is pretty important, but at least uh, with this, this lighting kit, it's doable, you know, 90 bucks. Yeah. And that's my only recommendation with that. If you can't get natural lighting. Good. Good deal. Thank you. Yeah. So is there anything else that yoga teachers should think about when creating their 
their first yoga video. Do you have any other final tips or thoughts? Um, well, it's, it's going to take a little time. So I want to say if you're on a deadline or like if you're going to put out your first newsletter and you've told people about it and you're like, you know, I've got a week to get this video together in the newsletter, it's probably going to take you more time. This was like a mistake that I made. I was like, okay, I got this. I can just like knock this video out in like one day. But it took me way longer to figure out all the different aspects. Um, yeah. So like just be patient, give yourself time, you know, order all of your materials and then play with them, play around. And then also before you start filming, make sure you do a test run. So like move your limbs in all directions. So like reach your arms up overhead and go into three legged dog, right? So that you know that all of your body parts are going to be on camera when you actually go to film your sequence. Otherwise you're going to have to start all over. So make sure you do plenty of test runs with the lighting, you know, different times of day, different outfits, whatever, just so you feel super comfortable with it. But again, it doesn't need to be really stressful and yeah, try not to be a perfectionist about it. So can we provide email subscribers with an action plan? Like here are all the steps that you would need to take so that they can actually plan that out and have goals that they can meet. So rather than having this one possibly overwhelming goal of, I want to make a yoga video, we break it down into like, these are the five goals that are going to lead you eventually to your yoga video. Yeah, for sure. That's a really good idea. Awesome. Let's let's do do that. And for my listeners who would like to see some of your videos or get in touch with you, how can people find you? Well, they can always go to my website, jessrose.yoga. Um, I'm on Instagram and I teach on DU yoga and pretty soon I'll be teaching on a website called Yogi approved as well. Um, but yeah, the easiest way to to just go to my website and you can get a bunch of online classes there for free. You can sign up for my newsletter and I'll give you a free gift. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but that's the best way. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jess. This has been so informative and helpful and um, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. I hope you feel inspired to create a yoga video now. If you do, make sure to sign up for my email list so that you get access to the free download. That's on my website, teachingyoga.net. At the top, there's a tab that says join our community. And you can click there. It'll give you a link to sign up for the email list and also for the Facebook group. If you want accountability, come to the Facebook group. Start a post. Tell us that you're creating a yoga video and give yourself a deadline. Say it aloud and make it happen. You can definitely do this in one week. All of your action steps are broken down in the free download. Then once your video is done, I want you to come back and share it with the group so that we can give you virtual high fives and tell you how amazing you look and how proud we are. If you need more accountability than that, or you have some mindset blocks that you know are really preventing you from stepping into your potential on this project or in any area of your life, I'd be honored to get to work with you in a strategy session. You can sign up for those at teachingyoga.net slash coaching. There will also be a link in the show notes for sure. Next week, we're going to dive even more deeply into all this mindset stuff. 
Next week, we're going to focus on why you still participate in self-destructive behavior and why you avoid taking action, the actions that you know are going to lead you where you want to go. Let's be honest and admit that we all do this to one extent or another, whether with food, alcohol, social media, or anything else. We really need to understand the reason why we do it in order to move past it. So I really hope that you will join me next week to learn about this important topic. And until then, remember to make time for yourself. Be compassionate with yourself and focus on your personal practice. There's nothing more important than doing your own inner work. See you next week.